0: Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Dear JCPS is a district-focused stakeholder advocacy group that demands accountability and transparency from JCPS through a lens of equity. Save Our Schools Kentucky is a statewide advocacy group that seeks to expose and prevent attempts to privatize our public schools, including charter schools and everything else from the ALEC playbook. This is the April 15th, 2021 episode of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I'm your host, Gay Adelman. This week, I want to kick off the program with some highlights from the KET interview that Renee Shaw did earlier this week with Senator Morgan McGarvey and House Rep. Angie Hatton on the Democrat side, as well as Senator Damon Thayer and House Rep. Steve Rudy on the Republican side. Please listen to the conversations that took place regarding some of the legislation that passed, but also listen for the hostility and rhetoric that continues to come from corrupt lawmakers who push through legislation that is not in the best interest of Kentuckians.
1: Senator Morgan McGarvey, a Democrat from Louisville and Senate Minority Floor Leader, Representative Steven Rudy, a Paducah Republican and House Majority Floor Leader, and Representative Angie Hatton, a Whitesburg
2: Democrat and House Minority Whip. Without a doubt, better legislation should have been and could have been passed if we had had the full debate that the legislative process is supposed to allow. We're supposed to have three-day notice for committee hearings so that the public can comment. And even in a time of COVID-19 restrictions, when people can't come in person, they can come by at least by Zoom on, into a committee room. They have time to make phone calls. And when we get very little notice before a bill is heard in committee, um, and it, the same day it's passed through the floor, there was even an exercise where One bill was passed through House committee, floor of the House, Senate committee, and and floor of the Senate in one day to prove that it could be done. And I didn't think that was an accomplishment. I thought that that was sad.
3: We had a limited number of days. Uh, The minority party was trying to use a... Filibuster, filibuster. I mean, basically, we're filibustering everything. They were handed out their scripts to go make the same speeches that they were, uh, and nobody's decision was changed because of any debate that was going on on the floor. They were trying to run out the clock. They knew that was the process, and our members uh, had had enough of it and said, let's limit debate, which is in the rules and uh, the ability to do, and and we took advantage of, of that rule that has been in the rules ever since I've been in the General Assembly. The the ability to limit debate, uh, especially on things that nobody was gonna change their mind on, they just were trying to run out the clock where we wouldn't get to the next bill that they wanted to run out the clock on, where we wouldn't get to the next bill that they all block voted no against.
4: I think when we talk about the American Rescue Plan dollars, it's a great thing. And I think we've got to acknowledge Congressman Yarmuth's role in that. This really came out of his committee in the House of Representatives and and made it to the president's desk, which is a great thing for Kentucky and for the country. When kids are gathering in a McDonald's parking lot so they can attend school, that's a failing of government. And we need to do what we can to get that last mile to make sure that that families have the, the Internet access that they need. So there's still some money left to use from the American Rescue Plan. In the spending in the budget and from the American Rescue Plan, we still haven't made those direct investments in the people and the businesses that have been suffering as part of this pandemic, not just the idea of the unemployment. If the and governor when you-
5: hadn't shut down a number of businesses, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. This governor has had a deleterious effect on business ac- across this commonwealth with his heavy-handed COVID policies.
2: Well, Renee I think that was the expected outcome but in all the ways that are measurable Kentucky actually did very well during the pandemic when we compare it to other states we saved a lot more lives Um, and also our economy did not tank we are about four times higher than we expected like 5.6 percent up in our um, revenues and way 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 better than we could possibly have expected so while you can attack the governor for individual mandates that Hurt individual businesses. Overall, they were as quick as they could be. They were as limited as, as, as he possibly could make them. And he was making split set, second decisions that he could come back later and counter correct if he needed to. And, you know, this Monday morning quarterbacking is pretty much what we spent our whole General Assembly doing.
5: It's, it's a debacle. And he'll, he'll have to answer for it in the election of 2023. That, that will be the defining issue is his handling of COVID uh, and the terrible decisions he made, like sending state police to cite people for going to church on Easter Sunday, closing down the schools when the CDC said that there was evidence, strong evidence, that kids should be in school, and picking winners and losers uh, amongst businesses and decimating the restaurant business in Kentucky.
4: Well, well, several things to address in Leader Thayer's (laughs) remarks that he just made. Um, One, the, the governor actually with the exception of a few weeks in December, did not shut down the schools. He left that largely to the local school boards. He made it very
5: difficult for them to stay open.
4: They could have stayed open under local control if they had wanted to. The governor made a recommendation, and that was it. Um, We've seen how certain people, even in the General Assembly, treat the recommendations of the governor. They were not orders. They were not laws, and the school boards had the control over that. As for unemployment, I mean, yes, we're all frustrated by unemployment, I'm sure everybody on this panel receives calls, if, uh, if not weekly, daily, Thank from constituents struggling with unemployment. But let's talk a little bit about how we got there. Um, the previous administration made a drastic cut. I,
5: I would have bet you money that we, he would have blamed Bevin by 8.30 and I would have won that bet.
2: the <laughs> I I mean, blame he, where it's due. You blamed we Bashir had, in your we, opening we, comments. I would have put money on that too. We had, we had
5: less than too. 4% unemployment and we, didn't, we couldn't have predicted a pandemic that was gonna decimate our economy so of course you're going to streamline unemployment offices when you have the highest rate of people working in 50 years there is no no way and and, and look there there are criticisms of of matt Bevan that you can make that i will agree with i'll make some of them myself he blew the election when when he should have been a landslide winner uh but his handling you, you guys keep wanting to go back There's nothing worse than an incumbent governor or president who tries to continually blame his his predecessor for his problems. Look, he ran for the job and said he could do a better job. Stop blaming the predecessor.
4: In in this particular instance, I think think it's important to note what Leader Thayer just said. Yes, severe cuts were made to the Office of Unemployment. And also that this thing, this kind of turned on a dime. The world stopped. but It happened people were unemployed in an instant and there was this influx that was impossible to deal with because, as Leader Thayer stated, those cuts had been made. Now, I'm not saying that we anticipated, of course we didn't anticipate it, but that's what happens when you you make those cuts to government, you can't all of a sudden get it up and running the next day because you need it now.
3: And I think it's important though to note that those cuts were made so we could fully fund the pensions, a problem that we've known about for years and decades long before COVID. There is plenty of blame to go around in this whole thing, but this governor has unilaterally made the decisions and cut the policymaking branch out completely until we came to town in January. I, th- you know, we advocated when we left, please call us into special session. We will give you the tools you need, but you have to, we are not in a dictatorship. You have to include the general assembly, the policymaking branch, and we got no calls back. now. You can blame Matt Bevan. we can blame whoever we want on this thing. The fact of the matter is the unemployment debacle has been going on long enough that it should have been fixed now.
5: If, if, the, if the public approves it, there will be 12 extra days where the General Assembly could call itself back in to deal with emergent situations like this. Mm-hmm. And it's 12 days because that basically gives us the time to do two five-day special sessions with one extra override day. Now, we may, if that passes and that goes in the constitution, we may never use it for 10 years. But what the pandemic did show is a flaw in our modern, in our constitution that basically shuts out the people's branch of government from governing during an, an emergency for nine months out of the year. So that, that That is something that came out of the pandemic. Of course, Speaker Osborne has been promoting uh, such uh, an approach for a couple of years now, and it took the pandemic in order for us to get a a bipartisan vote to put that on the ballot uh, in 2022. So that's something that uh, that would change and, and give us some more flexibility and and. Basically force a chief executive, the governor, in, to, to, to work with us because okay. we can call so we'll ourselves see in. What
2: happens with that come Rene, the general election. Say that there's very little chance there'll be a year that goes by that we don't use it. And if I were the people of Kentucky right now, I would be um, sad to see a legislature call itself into session to do whatever it, that supermajority wills without input from the public, sped through even passing laws to limit open records. Access and and to do such things behind closed doors with a veiled pay raise for legislators, I, I think that would be a terrible I, idea. To I don't pass think, this amendment.
3: I mean, I, I think this bill, this constitutional amendment, doesn't actually give us twelve extra days. It just removes the date certain to when we adjourn. Am I not?
4: I think it gives it's twelve. extra Twelve, days. Days. Yeah,
3: 12 straight that. up. Mm. Well, I mean, I know it, it gives us the flexibility to not adjourn that and bank extra days if we need them uh, to. Do away basically with the calendar. I, I think we'll, we'll have. Do you some think your debate. members
1: understood that? Yeah, think I, your I think got so. That? I
3: mean, it, we it, it went through several forms and the mm-hmm. Senate, made mm-hmm. s- several changes to it as well, and and we, we we're going to you know we also will have enabling legislation next year that will go along with it and what it will actually look like. Right. Uh, we were trying to. Uh, make the constitutional part, you know, there's statutory parts and constitutional parts. Right. We want to limit uh, the amount of stuff that we put in the Constitution, but where we
5: can statutorily make some But I do changes.
1: want to get to a point that Leader Thayer made, that it doesn't allow you to call yourself in, but it does.
5: It, 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 it started out as we could call ourselves in for a special session. That was the original mm-hmm. version. And then it went through several iterations with Speaker Osborne negotiating with President Pro Tem of the Senate, David Givens, to get us to the, the final point that we still end on a date certain, but we have up to twelve other days where we can call ourselves back in. So it
1: doesn't get rid of the deadline of April 15th and it even does. Year, It does. Okay.
5: Yes, the deadline is still there.
1: The deadline is still March there. March thirtieth, March thirtieth
5: for odd numbered years and April fifteenth for even numbered years. Right. And and I think it's it, it it's a reflection of a modern economy and a modern need, and I'll tell you, I don't think we would ever come back into special session unless there was an overriding reason to do so, because I think if we did, mm-hmm. our constituents would, would revolt pretty strongly against that. But I have to <clears> tell <throat> you that last June, July, and August, my constituents wanted us back in special session right. to deal with the governor's COVID restrictions, and I would posit the opposite of what Representative Hatton said. A legislative session actually brings more transparency and more public input to the process because you have to have committee meetings. And let's just say we were in a session in July or August. We would have had, we would have had legislation that probably would have ended parts of the ex- emergency orders earlier than, than they did, right? We started out at 15 days to flatten the curve. Now we're on, what, 385 days to control multiple aspects of our daily lives. We would have taken that up and the governor... And Dr. Stack and other cabinet heads and experts would have come in and they would have testified in public, in a public committee hearing about why the emergency orders need to be in place. And then you would have had business owners and school superintendents and churches come in and testify why they may feel the opposite, why they could have operated safely and responsibly well, in this environment. And
2: Ideally five days. You'd, have, you'd have that sort of um, public input but not in a five-day session yeah. and uh, like it, it, it's hard to believe that it with no restrictions whatsoever on the reasons that we call ourselves back in that it won't be misused for things like redistricting ahead of you know as soon as the census comes out and, it, and if there were some sort of requirement that it be only for emergencies maybe I could have supported it.
4: Um, there's some members who aren't going to love this I mean, keep in mind, we are still a citizen legislator. Still have full-time jobs. I I know that we were talking right before we came on here about who's going home, who's staying up here tonight, who has to get back for what for work, not Mm -hmm. for this job, for work. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things that concerns me just as a legislator. Um, When do you get to... Plan your your other job,
1: and and also limit the types of people who could be in the legislature. Exactly is that right. not a concern that if you have independent wealth or you have uh, fluidity in your profession or your business owner, that those are the people that would be attracted to the general assembly, not those who were restricted, such as educators well, and others. I
3: mean, yeah. what employer is going to allow their employee to be off for three months one year and four months the next? Uh, it, it it's already hard. Plus, we we have committee meetings throughout the summer it's not like we're not here anyway this would just allow us to do our job and and i think that's i think that's completely irrelevant because you're you're looking at an extra special session or so well chances are most of the general assembly is up here anyway for committee meetings so uh when, when you weigh it in like that mm-hmm. i mean this would just allow us when we're up here for our committee meetings to actually do what we're elected to do
5: pass policy Right. Nobody wants to be in Frankfurt any longer. We are a part-time citizen legislature. And believe me, when we adjourn sine die we all want to get back home to our lives and our families and our other jobs. Uh, But there were certainly extenuating circumstances last year where people first found out that we couldn't do anything and they were to, to restrict the governor's COVID restrictions. And they were begging us to get back in session. And it was a real civics lesson for most people because they learned that we were restricted by the Constitution. So we'll see if by mm-hmm. November of 2022 if that sentiment still exists. Yeah. The great thing about a constitutional amendment is the people will get to decide on this.
2: Right. I think that while some people may have been asking for us to come back into session, that there are certainly people who are sorry that we even came into the regular <laughs> session this year, including our teachers, which we failed to prioritize and continued to punish, and you know, we we did further damage the retirement system for incoming teachers, we didn't even fund textbooks, and then we gave away $25 million in tax credits. Yes, I'm to
3: have to push back uh, on I, that. I, I, I so think this I is I talking to, about House Bill 563, we, the scholarship we tax We invested bill. more in public education this session than has since care. Uh, we already talked about the infrastructure mm-hmm. funding in that all-day kindergarten. Uh, also in the American Recovery Act, we haven't even hit on this, there's 1.1 billion mm-hmm. that we could have appropriated that we did not withstand that and it goes straight to the schools. We could have grabbed that too, but we didn't. Uh, we, we spent a lot of money on the on public education. I mean, all day kindergarten alone. I mean, leader... But what elect, about leader, textbooks and support leader,
1: leader for these the other, other led educational the fact
5: services? That we put $140 million into full-day kindergarten, and then Representative Hatton is saying that we did a disservice to public education. So I would say that the Democrats need to get their talking it, points it, well, hey, straight. Well, full the full-day
1: kindergarten the last isn't the minute. full extent of education, year, though, correct? 41% it's of the entire funding.
5: general fund budget goes to K-12 education. And if you include the billion dollars we put into public universities, it's over half of our state budget. Some people won't be happy until 100% of the state budget goes to public education. And I don't know how you can say we disrespect the teachers when for about the fifth or sixth year in a row, we overfunded their pensions by 500 million. That's a half a billion dollars that we have been doing now, and, and that's one of the The good legacies of the Bevin administration, because it was his leadership that led us to do that, and we continue to do it under this administration. And And I want to
3: talk about this pension reform. I mean, Ed Massey did the job right; made no changes to current teachers. He went out and he worked with all the stakeholder groups. A majority—I mean, the Jefferson, Jason,
1: I mean, the teachers'
3: association in Jefferson County endorsed the bill. you know, he worked, with, KEA was neutral on it. They they weren't even opposed to it. I mean, it,
1: well, what Leader it Thayer thinks it didn't go it?
3: far enough, I'm sure. But, I mean, all, all mm-hmm. the stakeholders were involved. Uh, he did a great job of bringing everybody there. And we passed some meaningful changes for future hires and gave a, a, a ray of hope to a grossly un, underfunded and un-
4: no. Those endorsements went away with some of the Senate changes, I will say. Uh, the JCTA did not support the Senate change version of that, and the KEA didn't remain neutral on the Senate change version of that.
5: Um, All we did was ask for teachers to work two more years before retirement.
2: So it went from 55 to, 57, 55, right? fifty-five to fifty-seven, and fifty-nine is the average age of retirement for most Kentucky Correct. teachers. But I just think if we had enough money for seventy-five million dollars in film tax credits, and hundred million dollars for historical preservation for for historical preservation taxes, and six million dollars to a Steelbach hotel project, that we had money to prioritize teachers. Well, and we, we just
3: wanted to set the, the the record straight that we are the appropriators. That is our job. And- but but
1: you have several years to use this money, right? Exactly. So, so do you have to be he, called into special session? Couldn't you special, do it next year? We you go back in nine January months 4th. When we
5: return. And that's fine. If, if he wants to let that money sit, that's fine. We can wait. Jan, January 4th is not that far
4: off. Right. We're also waiting for some guidance, I mean, as we've all said, we're waiting for yeah. some guidance from the federal government. on When exactly. is that
1: anticipated? When is that coming?
4: I don't know. I talked to the governor's office last week, and I don't think they had a date certain yet either. Yeah.
3: And the guidance on the CARES Act, I mean, it changed three times before uh, it was all said and done.
4: So we're going to watch that. But, you know, we talk about this American Rescue Plan money. That's, uh, I started off the show talking about the funding of all-day kindergarten. I'm still glad we're funding all-day kindergarten, but we're, we're doing that because of the American Rescue Plan dollars in the state budget that was proposed the seek formula dip was not increased again this year our textbook funding was decreased we are yes i'm glad we're funding teacher pensions and, and as leader thayer said we're putting more money in, in the last five or six years that makes up for some of the underfunding which got us into this this mess in the first place um the reality is until we're talking about bucks for brains, until we're talking about pre-K, until we're talking about continued seek increases, until we're talking about how we re- attract and retain our best and brightest educators, until we're having that kind of conversation about education, yeah, you're gonna hear people like me and Representative Hatton talk about the fact we're shortchanging education, because I think education is the answer, and it's the generational fix for Kentucky.
5: Schools are getting a major one-time windfall also from the federal, from the federal bailout, from the Biden bucks, uh, including, Two billion dollars from ARPA to the Department of Education,
1: and that's the American uh, rescue right, American plan, rescue
5: plan. And and by the way, the fact that we were able to keep the SEEK formula flat at four thousand dollars per student during the uncertainty of this pandemic economy, I think is something to be cheering, not not decrying from.
4: It's not holding it harmless, and you know I think one thing that that we look at is the twenty-five million dollars that has now been given the chance for private schools to use public money. And here's my philosophical objection to this, is that the private schools that get this money to, uh, to attract kids into private schools using public money, they're under none of the restrictions. They're under none of the obligations that public schools have. I mean, the hallmark of a public school is that they accept anyone who walks through the door. These private schools can discriminate on admission for any reason they want. They don't have to keep kids there that they don't want. That $25 million could have gone to increase the SEEK formula.
1: And what's to say that local governments won't have to raise taxes, uh, property taxes, in the long run? Um, We've heard that argument. Leader Thayer.
5: School choice is long overdue in Kentucky. My only problem with House Bill 563 is it didn't go far enough. We're only allowing scholarship tax credits and these educational opportunity scholarships in counties that have more than 90,000 residents. But these red herring arguments that the Democrats continue to use to uh, criticize school choice and, and opportunity scholarships, they just are, they're just unproven in other states. Take Florida, for example, uh, since uh, they were implemented by Governor Jeb Bush, one of the national leaders uh, on school choice. Uh, he sent me an email, congratula- and I know he's emailed several leaders congratulating us on our success. In Florida they have these educational opportunity scholarships and they're flourishing. And guess what? So are public schools in Florida. A little competition will will make public schools even better than they are today for children it will
2: never help the rural areas it will never help the areas i represent all it does is divert 25 million dollars that could be spent on public education there's not it doesn't even apply to smaller counties and i'm glad it doesn't apply cuz i didn't want it expanded any further but it this is not the sort of thing that's ever going to help the places that i represent
4: Well, first of all if leader there wants to do a separate show with me on an argument of which party is helping working people more in this commonwealth. I'm glad to do that on a separate show. But also keep in mind, he referred to my philosophical argument as a red herring, and it's not. These are private schools that are getting public money and do not have the same requirements and obligations as the public schools to their students. That is not a red so herring. So you're saying
1: they could cherry pick the kind of students That's that they exactly want, right. or they but could raise tuition they, so high they, that uh,
4: but they're not without people public anyway. money. They're just
3: getting a tax credit. They could do a tax deduction right now. It, the argument is
4: tax policy
3: because these things could already. Exist.
4: But there's a huge difference between tax and tax deduction. a tax credit. There is absolutely a huge
3: difference in tax credit and tax deduction. Yep.
4: Thank
0: you all for watching. What you just heard were highlights and excerpts from earlier this week when Renee Shaw on KET interviewed lawmakers regarding some of the bills that had passed in the 2021 General Assembly, as well as some of the constitutional amendments and procedure changes that have been proposed. I encourage you to watch the entire program on KET. On last week's program, you may recall that I played... Uh, excerpts from two separate conversations that took place with JCPS leaders back in 2015 regarding some of the concerns surrounding the Academy at Shawnee as well as West Louisville Schools, student assignment, and the majority of the concerns that we've been addressing since this time. It's important to see who has known what and who has been saying what for how long because systemic change is badly needed in Jefferson County Public Schools, these continued delays are unacceptable, especially with the awakening that we claim has taken place. You are listening to Save Our Schools on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. You can also catch this episode as well as others on our SoundCloud channel, under the Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS playlist. Please support community radio, as well as grassroots organizations that build stronger public schools. You can donate to Forward Radio at forwardradio.org and to Dear JCPS on our website at dearjcps.com. Thank you. I would like to shift our attention back to the historical archives For the remainder of the program, I will be playing excerpts from audio recordings from 2018, beginning with this town hall that took place at the Middletown Public Library on February 17th, featuring comments and conversations with House Rep Jason Nemus. The next 15 to 20 minutes showcase highlights on his positions on several issues from opioid addiction, and criminal justice to public education, including charters and pensions. But most importantly, it included a moment where he was fact-checked for a statement that he made about broken families in Kentucky. Jacob Ryan, a reporter for the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting, was hosting a meeting in an adjacent room following the town hall and was able to provide the accurate information as they were wrapping up the meeting many of the laws that were passed in the 2021 legislative session began years ago based on these false notions take a listen
6: this is the same room they told us they weren't going to vote for the charter bill And, uh, I can't vote for it Hey, Good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and get started. It's slightly after nine. We are delighted you took the time to join us today. My name is Jerry Clark. I'm the president of the Friends Branch here at Middletown. After the program, if, ever, if
7: anyone's interested, we're going to have the, uh, the class, which is about media literacy
6: and fake news, which will be in the room over there. You're all welcome to come in. From all
7: about love. Jason Nemus, 33rd District of the House. In Jason Nemus, I represent the 33rd House District. I'm a thank freshman, you. so this is my, my first uh, term in, in Frankfurt. <laughs> no, my last name, Nemus, N E M E S. And I also wanted to thank the Friends of the Library and, and, and Jim. Sorry, two days ago, my office in Frankfurt. And, and I had three sons, they're ages 12, 9, and 7. One thing I'm really concerned about is a lot of the rhetoric. Uh, my wife is a teacher. Her parents are both teachers. Grandmother is a teacher. Uh, teaching is the, you know, public school teachers are the most important thing. Most important thing we have in, in Kentucky uh, sets our future up. And and I, I, I'm I'm disturbed by some of the rhetoric um, toward teachers. So, but but anyway, to say that it's, it, what I'm trying to get at is we we've, we've talked a lot about pensions over the last six to nine months and and uh, I think it's important that we do them all three at the uh, similar time because uh, tax reform pension and budget because of context purposes when you focus on one thing only it doesn't show the context it feels like we're picking on state workers and teachers and what we should have done is we should have had the pension conversation along with the budget conversation because those things are married and also the tax reform conversation um to show the context, which is really important. With respect to tax reform, we're not going to do the overhaul of the of the of the tax reform right now. But we are looking for ways that we can we can bring some new dollars in. You know, we give away uh, uh giveaways a bad word, but they're about you know, people say between ten and thirteen billion dollars in tax expenditures. So we need to look at those. It's important to note that that's not just freebies. It doesn't go to out-of-state corporations who prey on Kentuckians. It goes to us, right? It goes to you. It goes to me. It goes to us. It's, it's, it's uh, tax expenditure. It's, it's tax credits or, or tax uh, uh, exemptions for groceries, for pharmaceuticals, um, and those types of things. For our mortgage interest, so really important things are included in that. But we should we're looking at those. Not sure we are looking at those. Actually led by Ken Fleming, who's a representative from just north of here, uh, to see if we can we can squeeze some 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 revenue to, to help fill some gaps with the with the, with the um, let's talk about the pensions and a gotcha. defined contribution issue. You know, one of the things that I was fighting against from the beginning and, and Julie was over the Senate side on the inside, inside our caucus. So there's 64 Republicans that control the house and there's, I don't know how many, how many Republicans in the Senate, but but on the inside, we got the governor's plan a number of months ago and I've been fighting from the beginning to, to not get our new teachers and the teachers over 27 years of service to move toward a defined contribution plan. The plan that will be introduced this Tuesday does not have a defined contribution plan. in it. Good. We won. So we're not going to go there. And, and and the reason for that is, it's going to cost it would cost $600 million more to stay to go with to a defined contribution plan because you, you have to close the system down There's those kinds of costs, there's investment, really difficult investment issues, which you guys I'm sure understand, you know, you close it down, the plan gets a year older every year, right? If you don't close it down, it stays at about 35 and a half years old. So you can make more aggressive investments, so you have higher investment returns. So it costs more money to go to defined contribution. I'm happy to say that the plan that will be introduced on Tuesday does not have that in it, which is a real good thing, not only for the money that we have to spend that we don't have, but in recruiting teachers that is so important uh, for our future. Testing, we test way too much in Kentucky. Um, we have we have mandatory tests that have nothing to do with our children. Uh, our children's performance they have to do with these broad things I as a parent want to know when my kid takes the test and I want my teacher and my kids teachers want to know when when their students take a test what and w- how is this kid doing how are my kids doing and so how can we change to teach to teach them more effectively but it doesn't do that first of all they don't get the results to the next year so the teacher that was teaching doesn't have it and, and so these mandatory tests that have no impact on actual individualized performance don't make any sense. So we need to we need to do better in Kentucky on that. At the same time, though, we need to make sure that we are we are um, uh, in this And my extremely my, my very progressive friends push me on this. We need to make sure that we're testing enough that we that we don't um, we don't leave our minorities and our persons with disabilities behind. And making it easy um, to to make sure that we're 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 testing we're and pushing our, our high, high achievers and not our and not as much our low achievers. So so it's a it's a difficult tension, but we, we test too much at Kentucky. And when we test, it needs to be individualized to the student, not some not some collectivist kind of attitude. Charter schools. Uh, what's the issue there? What's been done on that? Where? What's your position on that? You know, when I, I was the director of AOC, that's the administrative office of the courts. So I was the head, unelected of official, for our court system, for Chief Justice Lambert, and Chief Justice Minton, ten years, less than ten years ago, and the court of justice budget was about three hundred million, and the Department of Corrections budget was about three hundred to three twenty-five. Today, the court of justice budget is $360 million, 10 years later, and the Department of Corrections budget is six hundred and fifty. I mean, it's 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 outrageous. And so and and what are we doing? We're incarcerating addicts. We're not talking about robbers. We're not talking about people who are violent. We're talking about addicts. And so when you have that kind of an explosion in growth, and by the way, $600 million is about 6% of our budget. It was about it little about three and a half. When you have that kind of explosion in growth, we also have it in Medicaid. And we also have it in pensions. Then it just elbows out our opportunity to pay for other things. And so we have to yes, we have to get new revenues. We we need structural reform that Senator Adams is leading the way on on the criminal justice issue. So we've got to do those types of things as well. Um, I think that answered the question. Let me let me dovetail on that because you've already touched on it already. You're talking about the pension difficulties, the
6: issues. Especially you say your wife is a teacher, and this will be maybe a little closer. Is there an option for a four hundred one k Is there? Uh, is that a hybrid four oh one K or is it pure? Yeah. Uh, can s- current school teachers and employees have that pension option and the testing that's being done yeah. right now. Is it too restrictive yeah. and is it preventing the schools from being able to really yeah, function?
7: I think those are two different issues and let me, let me I think they are yeah, let me focus we'll on funding on one first and yeah. then yeah. make sure I focus on make sure I hit the testing one as well. The thing that I'm working on the most is criminal justice reform. Um, but I also want to want to note that we have a spending problem, and, and I'm not... I think it's, there's, there's three things I want to highlight, make sure everybody knows that we'll it, to it makes it irresponsible you to, to have any new funding that's not absolutely necessary. And this would be new funding and set up, setting up charter schools. If it were 10 years from now and charter schools were up and running and a bunch of kids were in them, different conversation. But to start the charter schools at this point, is not good for... We don't have the money for charter schools, so uh, I don't know I if the funding will pass or not, but it will pass if it does over the strong objection of both of us. With our growth out in this area, it's also important to note that we need new schools. Um, I'm happy that, that Marty Polio was hired recently by the, the Jefferson County Schools uh, Public Schools. He's, he's been terrific. One of the things that he, he's uh, dedicated to is to getting us new schools out here. We have an explosion of population and our schools are over full. Um, and so he's, uh, he's going to get that done, I, I think. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I think it is a lot rural-urban. But, but this is something I have a problem with and I think this is probably the most important question we can have and that is and it boils down to civility. I think um, you know the people around here are smart people. They want us to get along. They want to fight over civilly the things that matter. Yes to be sure. Let's have those arguments. No doubt about it. But let's do it in the right way. We get a huge benefit from our friends out in the, out in the counties and they get a huge benefit from us. Right? Because maybe maybe it should be less of this but we fund their schools. We fund their roads. And so, so we are we are in this thing together with our with our more rural brethren, um, but we we want to pay for their schools in Breathitt County, and 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 we just have to do a better job of that. But I want to know, I don't want to just gloss, just totally gloss over the Republican Democrat divide. In campaigns, it's disgusting, as we all know. I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a second. It's this kind of attitude that leads to, to that that leads to many many bad things. Right? We have we have. School shootings, not to bring that up here, but we have school shootings. Well, a portion of that is because we don't treat each other right, and we don't we don't, we don't don't have adult conversations, and we don't handle things that is responsible as we ought to. I, but I do think that that's the, the most important thing for elected officials, is that we look each other in the eye, and we have disagreements, or agreements, whatever, but we do it in a responsible way. We have a finite amount of dollars in Kentucky. And every dollar we use for opioid addiction to incarcerate people is a dollar that we can't use to go after the real bad guys, the violent people, people that are trying to prey upon our kids. If you're for incarcerating drug addicts, you're not tough on crime. That's dumb on crime. Tough on crime is treating these people, getting them back to their families but number one, treating these people, and then, and then trying to use the money that we save to get more officers. And part of the thing, that we need to be focused more on is the sexual trafficking. And it's a real problem right here in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and, and so I don't think we're doing nearly enough on, on sex trafficking. We're trying, but I don't think we're serious about it until we we divert funds from, from, from things that we shouldn't be spending on. So it is indicating a shift, right, from criminalization so treating it as what it ought to be, which is a, which is a health issue. Right. My personal story is, is I have a sister right here today. I'm one of six. I've got three brothers and two sisters. I have a sister today who's sitting behind behind bars in Jefferson County because she's an opioid addict and has been for, for over a decade. She has three children that my mother are raising, and I don't know if we had the right system in place when she first started. I don't know if we would have saved her. I don't know if she'd have been there to raise her children, but we had a chance at her. We'd have a chance. Mm-hmm. And the way we did it, we have no chance. And so we've got to change it. And this is the biggest problem in Kentucky is our opioid, our opioid scourge. I mean, it's just, it's awful. And, and we're, we're trying to do the right thing and we'll get it, we'll get there. We have, um, I've got three boys, 12, nine, and seven. We all have kids, or grandkids, or nephews, and nieces, cousins, people we love. Um, are, are, we, are we safe in schools? I mean, look at what's going on. I think that's the answer to the question. But frankly, I I don't know. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. And and I I just want to note a few things. With our our access, easy access to guns, I mean, let's just call it like it is. But we also have, we don't do right by our folks who are mentally challenged. We don't don't have enough mental health services. In this community, thank goodness, we've got a lot of facilities and institutions. You know, these are two things, but that's not it. Um, uh, Access to schools, which is what you were talking about, you can't get in unless you have a car. We need to do better about that kind of thing. But but let me come back to it. And this is this is something that I I hit all the time because it, it I think it's a truism. It's not left. It's not right. It's not Republicans, It's not Democrats. It's not black. It's not white. It's us. Our families are destroyed in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. They're destroyed. Seventy percent of our kids, more than seventy percent of our kids, are born out of wedlock. I'm not going to get all crazy Christian conservative over here anything like that. I'm going to say this. We know a two-parent home is what we need to support, whatever that is. And will you
6: decline the NRA's endorsement in the future,
7: unless no, they change? Yeah. yeah. So, so now I'm not going to decline their their their, um, their endorsement. Um, I, what I, I, I think I think I tra- yeah I think I said what I wanted. I don't agree with the NRA on everything. Um, so, so, so I what, I what I said was this: I think it's too easy to get guns. I don't think we enforce. I don't think we enforce the gun laws that we have enough. We mentioned a couple earlier. I don't think we enforce enough people who are domestic viol- violators, uh, batterers, from getting uh, access to weapons. Um, and I don't think we're tough enough on those people. Um, we, it's too easy to get guns. But but it's not just gun culture. It is that I've said that clearly. I don't know if I can say it even more clearly. But it you our, the U.S. Army contributes to that. It is our. It, they do contribute to that. I agree. I'm not saying they don't. But but it's also we have to we have to step back and understand what else it is. It is it is, I think more fundamentally or as fundamentally, it's it's our family structure being destroyed. And before 1960, we had we had five percent of our kids born out of wedlock. Now it's over 70. There's a consequence to that. We've got to look at that in the face. We have to look at that in the face. And I come from a single parent home. My mother raised me. My mother was raised me. She she was divorced. <laughs> and so, so I'm not saying this is some kind of an attack. I'm saying we've got to look at the real reason. It is not.
0: There's no, no data behind your leap yeah, there. That's kind of right? circular
6: logic. It, it is that no, there, is it better know. to stay married in an abusive situation or to that's be a That's a false argument. No, I didn't say that at all. No, but I'm that's saying that's... Saying. Saying. All right. I didn't say that at all. We have a process, and we're going to stick I with it. Understand. I understand. I'd like to have our questions asked, though. Verbatim. we to have a process here. It's
0: always big. The hardest goal of whether or not they to the questions it best. just needs to be equitable, that's all. This guy is rephrasing our questions and softballing bothering them. He's a, screen a screen private screen school screen teacher. He, he doesn't understand all public all education all either. Great
6: questions, folks. Good involvement. They generously have given us their time. They've attacked each question with intensity and I think a, a level of character that's very reassuring to me. I hope it is to you.
7: My name is Jacob. Uh, I work at the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting. And in this little room, we're about to do a little continuation of this conversation. This is an age of so-called fake news, information apathy. So we want to teach everyone how to be more critical in news consumers, and not to use you as an example. But uh, <laughs> good friend, he just said 70% of children in Kentucky are born out of Woodlock. Uh Quick fact check. That's right. Yeah.
4: TV shows
2: forty
4: percent.
7: So it's so
5: still- <laughs> <laughs> these, these are laws being made
4: we based, based them all on the <laughs> out. And plus for giving away fifty sits- dollar gift. That's the way they're making these laws, though. They're making these
0: laws based on assumptions and leaps. Where's that
4: gentleman? Jason
0: Nemus. Okay, Jason Yes. I also had a chance to speak with Representative Nemus after the meeting regarding his statements he had made on high stakes testing.
7: Yeah. Hey, see got I got about 2 minutes. Okay.
0: Okay. Yep. Um, I was right there with you on the high stakes part. Everything you said, I totally get it. and you said, except we have to make
7: minorities and special needs kids to continue to get tested. There's the, there are the ones that are most harmed right now by high stakes. And I mean, most of all, I, I think what? What? My point is this: um, we have to continue to test those kids. and it, it, no, it, I, know I, know, okay. I know that. I know that. I know I agree with that. Okay. But 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 when but when I when I say let's get rid of these uh, standardized testing, what I got from David Tackle, who's one of Berkeley's best friends, is whoa, watch out, because it might be an easy way to not um, know that we and not not hold ourselves accountable to make sure that those Absolutely. populations continue to break. Right. Right. And I don't and I don't and I'm not I do not and i am and i do not know that they do it. And I don't want a teacher or principal. Anybody to be able to say, look, I need my numbers up, so let's just, just these people. I, think, I, don't, I don't want to. Uh, yes. so that's that's the concept. Now. I
0: hear you, but what's happening right now is they don't do the first test, the second test, the third test, the yeah, fourth test, right. and then they're abused, and It has, it's abused. That's right,
7: and it has nothing to do with that particular student?
0: No, and they're pulled out of meaningful instruction, rehab, and things that actually benefit them to prep for more tests. We need to put a moratorium on test prep yeah. because that should be, that's yeah. where it's being abused. Yeah. So there are lots of things we could be doing Hi. Well,
7: I wish I could stay. I'm,
0: yeah. I gotta get Thank you for your time. Yeah. I well, do thanks, appreciate thanks. it. You are listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I'm your host, Gay Adelman. You were just listening to some excerpts from a town hall that took place on February 17, 2018 at the Middletown Library. The voice you heard most was that of Representative Jason Nemus and his positions on many of the issues that we have concerns about to this day. Jason is... One of the House reps that is endorsed by Jefferson County Teachers Associations PAC Better Schools Kentucky, as one of the legislators who has been not only endorsed by Jefferson County Teachers Association but defended, have ha- has had their support defended, their endorsement defended by JCTA President Brent McKim and those who serve on the Political Action Committee's board. His endorsement was upheld even after some controversy that took place regarding sharing of his database with, with Tea Party leader Teresa Camariano, you may recall. So t- I wanted to share these excerpts with you because I think it's important to note the statements that he made back in 2018 and compare them to how he voted in 2021 and how he continues to maintain the support and endorsement of the teachers union despite, despite these contradictory statements and behaviors. And his most recent votes in favor of not only charter schools back in 2017, but also in favor of the pension shift that he spoke against in the earlier recording as well as taking money away from public schools which he did when he voted for the voucher bill. With K-Prep continuing to take place this year, the first week of May is when it is expected to commence, K-PREP is the state testing that our students are subjected to that provides no educational benefit for students. In the recording, you hear him speak against high-stakes testing. And he even sponsored an opt-out bill, which unfortunately gained no traction this legislative session. However, his statements regarding continuing to test our most vulnerable students are the ones that I found most concerning. Speaking of high-stakes testing and K-PREP, Dear JCPS has a section on our website called Opt-Out Toolkit. Please visit dearjcps.com and click on the Opt-Out Toolkit button in the top menu for sample opt-out letters, links and resources, and 12 steps you can take this year. In addition, please mark your calendar for a virtual town hall on Sunday, April 25th. The time has not yet been set. We hope to have a few subject matter experts who can discuss some of the pros and cons of opting out or refusing to take high-stakes testing, so it would be beneficial for parents and students who are aware of safety and health risks that exist by returning to school in person in some situations and are choosing virtual instruction at home. Districts across the state may still make an effort to recruit students to come into the building to take these tests. So, we want to make sure that parents and students are empowered with information and tools and resources and support to uh, follow best practices and seek advice from others in the same situation on the best ways to not only stand up against. The high-stakes testing and become a conscientious objector, but also to advocate for others because we know that in a district of choice like ours, there are schools that have uh, more opportunities and advantages than others and uh, unfortunately that also leads to uh, inequitable outcomes for many of our students and teachers and, and administrators. So Uh, Just because something goes smoothly or goes well uh, in one school doesn't mean that it's going to go smoothly or go well in every school. So creating that sense of community and that opportunity to share experiences and make sure that uh, people know that they're not alone, because that is another tactic that the oppressor will use, is to make you feel isolated and alone. So we want to not only share the resources and the tools that empower parents and students to refuse the test in the most a successful way possible, but also to create that sense of community and support that um, allows the collective to be successful in the efforts to um, ultimately to shift funding uh, and resources away from these harmful, punitive, reactive measures and put them into front-end solutions that actually benefit our students. And this, you couldn't come up with a better example than this. But while we're on the subject of House Representative Jason Nemus and the earlier audio recording that you heard from february seventeenth, twenty eighteen uh, to today, I wanted to share with you a few other things that I'm aware of. We recently became aware that JCPS had extended an offer to Jason Nemus's wife to become a JCPS teacher in a, in a split ESL teaching position in two different uh, East End schools. Bypassing somehow she managed to bypass six other applicants that had had applied for the job, she was offered the job before her certification had even come through. So before she was even eligible to teach in that position, she not only applied for the job, but an offer was extended to her. So uh, that in and of itself is concerning, but then to learn that there were six other applicants, including a JCPS teacher, an eight-year veteran JCPS teacher, nationally board certified, uh, currently teaching for eight years in the middle school grades. Um, uh, Jason Nemus's wife had only been teaching K through five, and so she applied for ESL certification, which extended her teaching certification across K through 12. But prior to the certification, she was only certified in K through 5. And this application was for a middle school position. So um, there's just numerous errors that have taken place, including. Uh, A post hire date interview to cover their tails when they realized that they had violated procedures all of this is documented but what can you do with it other than make the public aware so uh, that is the purpose of this radio program is to make sure the public is aware of the things that are going on around them so that we can uh, put a stop to it I mean ultimately if, if corruption is taking place, if quid pro quo is taking place, and it's next to impossible to get uh, any exposure from the media, it's next to impossible to get um, our leaders to refuse to cooperate or uh, put a stop to it. So. Uh, they continue to look the other way, and it's mutually beneficial to them to look the other way. So it's up to us, the little people, we the people, uh, to do what we can to chip away at these things uh, bit by bit. And um, hopefully the more voters become aware of this cozy relationship that Jason Nemus has with not only JCTA leadership that continued to explain away his violations, but also with JCPS leadership. And in future episodes, I will also play for you some of the recordings that took place between us and uh, Superintendent Marty Polio, as well as leaders from uh, different organizations, including JCTA and Eros, the Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools, and our JCPS. Um, I've got documentation of all of these meetings and will continue to be uploading them to the Dear JCPS dot com website in the near future so continue to stay tuned continue to uh, stay engaged and let us know if you have any other questions and as we wrap up today's program I'd like to end with you with one other s- sound clip uh, from that same day you may recall March 28 2019 was the day that uh, the Senate confirmed Gary Houchins. That was was another entire radio show dedicated to uh, the confirmation of Gary Houchins to the Kentucky Board of Education, as well as how Julie Rocky Adams threw us under the bus. So, if you missed that episode, I encourage you to go to our SoundCloud channel and check it out. Um, But that day, at the end of the day, I encountered two of the leaders from the Kentucky 120 United. Uh, group that is now starting a chapter of the American Federation of Teachers. So because of this and because of the genesis of uh, JCPS Leeds and the falling out that that teachers, rank-and-file teachers, had with their own union in Jefferson County going all the way back to 2017-2018, now that this is all coming back around and they're uh, now they're frustrated with JCTA. Now they're now they feel what we've been frustrated with all along. If they hadn't butted in, um, we probably could have finished what we started way back then. So um, suddenly now they now they want to do something about it, and they still haven't addressed the race issues, and uh, they still haven't acknowledged the role that they played in dismissing the concerns of uh, JCTA members back in two thousand and eighteen. So as people are learning about their options, I think it's important that they know the history. And I'm going to play a tiny excerpt from an encounter that I had with the leaders from 120 United on the day that Gary Houchins was confirmed to the Kentucky Board of Education after they had meddled and interfered to the point where it uh, fractured our groups and Um, really allowed the privatizers to win, and um, that continued through to the 2021 session. So this is uh, chapter two of the same playbook and the same program, so uh, I just want um, people to know what's really going on so they can make the best decisions, and the full version of this can be found on our website. So I'm just because you're not no, listening to no. your members. No. no, you're not listening to Your members are coming to me because you're not representing them. them. Oh, how many members do get?
2: All of them that how are going really County. kicked out. How many women
0: can get? a tucky. Jefferson County specific no, it's not.
2: issue. That's go. Julie Rocky Adams. Go. That's my senator.
0: And she, she won't even against. talk to you. Look, your your members do not feel represented, especially
2: people of color. They're coming to me and asking me. to talk. I... Let's
0: go. This could have been one if we'd have done it. No, it could have been another job. are not shit. How by like, pretending like there's no threat not right to public schools? I've been doing this work for six years and you might done a great job. Oh, hi. hi. We've got red board members, we've got a person. See you later. Extended length versions of all of the audio archives that you've been listening to can be found on our website at dearjcps.com under the audio archives tab.